0: Prison. On this episode of the True We Leavers, Danny, Kurt, and Aaron make a return to their home state of Indiana. There, in the small town of Cyboria, they will investigate reports of mysterious lights in the sky, as well as menacing shadows in the woodland. Joining the team will be special guests Lindsay Mollen and J.P. Leck of the Endless Elsewhere podcast. What will they uncover in this terrifying Halloween special? Stay tuned to find out. That is, if you dare.
1: <laughs> this is the Endless Elsewhere podcast. The Alcazar, a Halloween special.
0: I, I don't know about this.
1: What? We've already agreed to it. We signed the release and everything. They'll be here any minute.
0: Yeah, I just I just don't know if this is going to work.
1: Because of the bad blood between you and Danny? That was ages ago. He probably doesn't even remember it. If it still bothered him, they wouldn't have invited us onto the show, yeah? I guess. Is there something else?
0: This thing we're going to investigate. I've never heard of it before. So what? So, I'm the Circle City Collector.
1: Well, this thing isn't in Circle City, is it? It's way down in-
0: Yes, I, I'm aware, but you know what I mean.
1: Or are you just annoyed that the believers heard about it first?
0: No. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe.
1: Don't let that bother you. Focus on what's important. This could be really good for us. We're taking a big step up here to the next level, TV, Joseph. This kind of exposure, it'll be great for the podcast. I get it. And if we don't go, there is no Halloween special for the podcast or for Circle City Supernatural.
0: Yes, Lindsay, I know. It's just that...
1: That would be them. (sighs) Here we go. We grabbed our bags and headed to the door. Pulling it wide, we saw that our usual view of the street was now clogged by a monstrous tour bus sitting at the curb. It was glossy and jet black, which aptly accentuated the large yellow lettering emblazoned down either side. The true Believers, it read, Cable's number one paranormal reality show. This humble proclamation was accompanied by the expected imagery. There was a UFO hovering above, a spirit lurking to the left, and a mid-stride Sasquatch on the right, all in hazy silhouette. The design was a surprising but effective mix of tacky and chic. The logo told you everything you needed to know about the show with a single glance.
0: Well, that's. subtle.
1: Lindsay,
2: hey, how are you? It's great to see you.
1: Aaron Willever came bounding from the bus just as friendly as the day I'd met her. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that I first met with the Willever siblings during their previous return to Circle City. Being natives who'd gone off to make it big in the world of television, they were invited home to be the guests of honor in a very popular Halloween festival that is held on the city's east side, of which I was the MC that year. It was during an interview with them that I was conducting for Circle City Supernatural that Aaron and I became fast friends. Regular listeners will also remember me placing a call to Erin in Season 1 when she gave us a startling revelation about the land of phantoms. That's when it came to light that the believers had been using the Pendergast manuscripts to find new locations to investigate for their show. This they'd done in spite of two very important facts. 1. Almost everyone believes the books to be fiction. 2. Joseph and Danny Believer had had an unpleasant encounter years before when the Now TV star had come to the Circle City Collector for help, but more on that in a bit. Are those your only bags? We travel light. Oh, Aaron. This is Joseph, by the way. Joseph, Aaron.
2: Yes, of course. (laughs) Jeez, he is tall, huh? How do you do?
0: I am well, thank you, and thank you for letting us tag along.
2: Thank you for doing it. This is going to be a lot of fun. We all listen to the podcast and love it. So, this little crossover seemed like a no brainer. Let's get you guys aboard. Come see the boys.
1: Aaron whirled and flitted back into the bus. We followed after, climbing the steps, at the top of which, sitting behind the wheel, was the driver. Aaron introduced him as Henry. He gave us a glimpse and a grunt's worth of greeting. Aaron shook her head and told us not to be put off by his less than sunny disposition. Henry closed the door after us and we moved deeper into the bus. I want to describe it as comfortable, but it was so much more than that. It was luxurious, even palatial. The floor was carpeted. The windows curtained, there were leather couches with ottomans, side tables, and throw pillows. The bus was furnished better than my apartment. I saw a kitchenette in the back, and beyond that, a couple of doors. I'd later learned that one of them opened to a bedroom and the other to a full bathroom. The Welievers traveled well. This thing is incredible.
0: It's a whole lot better than the old van we used to tool around in, that's for sure. Lindsay, good to see you. Hey there, big guy, I'm Kurt.
1: Kurt Willever had been sitting cross-legged on one of the couches, thumbing at his phone when we'd come aboard. Not until Aaron made a face at him did he rise and nod politely before introducing himself. He was a robust and hearty young man with closely cropped hair and a full beard. Pleasantries made, Kurt resumed his seat, revealing Danny Willever, who just emerged from the aforementioned bedroom and was now coming forward. Compared to his brother, Danny was slight, boyish. I'm trying to resist the impulse to describe him as the quote-unquote runt of the litter, but I confess that's what came to mind both when I met him previously and now again. However, just as before, I was taken aback by his supreme confidence. He approached Joseph and I with his hand already outstretched. He vigorously shook each of ours in turn, smiling all the while. Danny was the youngest of his siblings, but was clearly the born leader. It was his ambition and drive that had taken them from well, a beat-up old van to this beautiful tour bus, for starters. He didn't exactly resemble the on-camera persona I was acquainted with, however. I was seeing him behind the scenes. He was dressed down and wore a backward cap over his usually styled hair. Instead of his contacts, he wore his glasses, which he then removed and pocketed self-consciously.
3: Hello, good to see you, Lindsay, Mr. Leck, it's been a while. Daniel. Thank you both for coming
0: along. We really appreciate it.
1: Of course. We're excited to be part of this.
3: Aren't we, Joseph?
0: Is it going to be just us? Where's your crew, your producers?
3: Aside from Henry up there, you're all the extra hands we're going to need. We're doing this one old school. And why not? We're back home. Might as well treat it like the old days. It'll be more fun this way, I promise. The network people, they just tend to slow us down. We're more nimble without them. I see. Henry, drive on, sir. We have a lot of ground to cover.
1: Henry gave a little mock salute, then got us underway. The tour bus lurched from the bank and wound its way through the streets of Circle City. Soon we were on the interstate and settled in for the longest stretch of our journey. For anyone unaware, Indiana is a thin but tall state, which makes driving from the central region to the southern the work of nearly three hours. So we had plenty of time to discuss the purpose of our joint expedition. Now, we know a little bit about what we're doing, but I was hoping you guys could fill us in on the rest. When you first reached out about this project, you couldn't tell us much.
2: Yeah, sorry about all the secrecy. We've learned to keep our locations quiet. You wouldn't believe how many other teams will try to beat you to
1: the punch. Other teams?
3: These days, everyone and their brother belongs to a group of paranormal investigators, and they're all trying to make it as we have. So they're jealous of your success. They will seize on a place if they know we're headed there and undercut us if we let them.
1: So, what's in Cyboria?
3: Well, it's- Whoa, whoa, wait, should I be shooting this? Nah, we'll do all this expo in the voiceover. This is just for our friends here. Copy that. Okay, you want the details, here they are. Cyboria is a little hick town in Kentuckiana.
1: Sorry to jump into the middle of it here, but I wanted to quickly explain the term Kentuckiana for anyone unfamiliar. It's a general region that encompasses portions of southern Indiana and northern Kentucky, hence the portmanteau. Portmanteau? That's a vocab word from earlier this season. (laughs) Okay, back to the conversation.
3: Specifically, we're headed to the Alcazar Lodge. The site was originally home to a trading outpost way, way back in the 1700s. In the 20th century, however, someone built a commercial hunting lodge on the spot. It's all closed up now, has been for decades. Story is, in the fall of 1975, everyone at the lodge reported seeing mysterious lights in the sky. This went on for three consecutive days. Then, on the fourth night, the lights were seen in the woods. They had landed. And? And that's when the attack began. Attack? A massive something besieged the lodge for the entire night. It would come out of the trees and pound on the doors, smash out the windows, stuff like that. I've never heard of this. Neither had I. Not in all the years I still lived here. But now it's happening again. How do you know? we've gotten reports about it and i have good reason to believe what i've read what reports well report i should say singular but it's a solid lead came from one of the locals he's a fan of the show and reached out said this may be worth our attention and obviously i agreed
1: so the people of cyboria are seeing
3: mysterious lights in the sky yes followed by an enormous figure moving about in the local forest
0: enormous figure
3: an upright bipedal hominid, an exceptionally hairy one.
1: Wait, so people are saying a flying saucer, then a Bigfoot. What's the connection? Those are two very different types of the paranormal.
3: You'd be surprised how often sightings of both are reported in conjunction with one another. There are those who have theorized that the Sasquatch is extraterrestrial in nature. That would explain why they're so elusive, yeah? They're one minute, gone the next.
1: (laughs) Because they're getting Beamed up to a spaceship?
3: Or possibly. Some have proposed that the Sasquatch, if not an alien itself, is an alien creation. Its simian nature suggests a purposeful design, one adapted to fit our environment.
0: To what end?
3: To act as a scout, perhaps. They may be conducting some
0: sort of reconnaissance on Earth. Mm, that doesn't really track, does it? If they intended such a creature to be a spy, why would they make it so conspicuous?
3: They were not made to blend in. Their size and appearance are purposefully monstrous. But why? So as to remain unbelieved if witnessed. Think about it. What better way to move about a place clandestinely than to appear as something mythical? Uh, Again, this is all according to certain theories floating around on the internet.
1: But why would aliens send Bigfoot to spy on some nowhere town in southern Indiana?
3: It's a place without any real importance where something like this can go unnoticed. Or, if it is noticed, as is the case here, the outside world will assume it's just another hoax from a bunch of hillbillies.
0: And you're somehow convinced that that's not exactly what this is? I am. Like I said, I have good reason to believe what I've been told.
3: Would you care to elaborate?
1: Danny just smiled, his silence acting as a polite refusal. I glanced to Aaron, then to Kurt. She shook her head, and he shrugged. Apparently their brother had not clued them in either, but here they were following him into the unknown as they had countless times before. They'd learned to trust his instincts by this point. Danny, who'd brought the conversation to a brief pause, then restarted it. He was looking to my partner when he again spoke.
3: I know it's a far-fetched concept, but it's compelling, yeah? I thought you of all people could appreciate this.
0: Alien Bigfoot, that's that's a lot, Daniel.
3: It's no more ridiculous than alien fairies, but according to the last season of your podcast,
0: those are real enough. Touché. Did you guys really feed them grilled cheese sandwiches? Yeah, we did, and they loved every bite of it. Danny, the report you received, the one from Cyboria.
3: It's legit, if that's what you're going to ask. Believe me, this will not be a wild goose chase. I'm not in the business of wasting anyone's time, especially my own.
1: But how, Danny? How do you know these sightings are genuine?
3: I just do. Have it on good authority, do you? I do.
1: Then I guess we'll take your word for it.
2: I hate to say it out loud, but he's never actually wrong about this kind of thing, guys. You can trust that we'll find something down there.
3: Wow. An actual compliment. Kurt, I guess you should have been filming this. (laughs) Right?
2: (laughs) That counts as your birthday present. Christmas too.
1: The believers were professional, accomplished TV personalities, but still, at the end of the day, they were siblings who could tease and joke with one another. I liked seeing that side of them. After this, Erin, being a thoughtful hostess, asked if we were hungry and showed us to the kitchenette where snacks abounded. Kurt followed behind us and introduced Joseph to his French press. My partner was very pleased with the cup of coffee he was handed by the middle reliever. We returned to the couches with our refreshments and continued to chat pleasantly. The topography outside the windows became ever more rural with each mile the bus put under its tires. Farmland and forests took their turns in the passing countryside, the harvested fields and colorful trees making for lovely scenery. Erin mentioned how much she'd missed autumn in Indiana. This was the last anyone said for a while. A lot of us fell silent. We were contented in the quiet, however. The awkwardness of our close quarters situation had all but evaporated. If only things could have stayed so comfortable.
3: Can I make a suggestion? For your podcast, that is? I don't want to step on any toes or anything. Please, go ahead. And I say this as a listener, mind you. You should do less exposition dumps. You guys drop a lot of information at once. It can be a bit much.
1: This was a complaint that we've gotten before, one I still don't understand, and which, full disclosure, frustrates me. So if I sounded defensive in my response to Danny, that's probably why. It's an investigative podcast. Pouring over the details is the point. You wouldn't ask a true crime podcast to slow down with the data, would you? Our show is little different.
3: But your show often turns into a fire hose of facts. And I say that as someone who's actually read the books you guys are covering. I can't imagine what it's like for those who haven't. It's just a lot to absorb, that's all I'm saying. I tried to tell her. Hush, you. Take it from someone in the entertainment business. I know what I'm talking about. You should do less talky episodes. Less
1: talky? It's a podcast. It's literally all talking. Every podcast is basically just people talking.
3: What I mean is, you should try to do more episodes like this.
1: Like what? The Halloween special?
3: Yeah, more fun side adventures that get you guys away from that main convoluted storyline you're entrenched in. New, fresh stories that aren't pulling from past lore, you know?
1: Thanks for the tip, Danny. But you're making it sound like we have control over any of this.
3: Don't you? From one reality star to another, I know that sometimes you have to fudge the reality.
1: We play our show
3: straight. (laughs) Of course, as do we. But that doesn't mean there's not a bit of play acting. I mean, just in the editing process alone, you can- Why did you
1: really invite us along on this investigation? What do you mean? You don't actually need our help for anything.
3: No, we don't. That's true. This was Aaron's idea. You and my sister are pretty chummy. Ever since she appeared in your first season, she's been trying to get something like this going, to help you out. Aaron eventually talked me into it, so here I am, throwing you guys a bone.
0: I suppose that was the least you could do, Daniel, after using my books to find locations for your show. Thanks for that, by the
3: way. The Strangled Deep Manor episode was one of our highest rated. Oh, I have no doubt. Speaking of rehashing things from the past, I read your new book, too. Your anthology of all those old stories you published back in the day. I'm honored that mine made it in. You mean, of course, the one that you never wanted read. That was before we got the show, when I thought the story would be seen as a hoax and cause us problems. But now I'm fine with everyone reading it. Hey, I can even plug the book in this episode if you want. Throwing us another bone, Daniel? Look, Mr. Leck, I know we didn't part in good company last time, but that's all behind us now. Whatever we disagreed about last time, it doesn't matter anymore.
0: The truth, Daniel. That is what we disagreed about. And it very much does matter.
3: (sighs) Same old Circle City Collector. A zealot to the end. You'll
0: never change. And you are just as I remember you, Daniel. Do you
3: keep calling me Daniel for a reason? Is it like an attempt to patronize me or what? Joseph
1: had jumped in so that I could calm down. Now I needed to do the same for him before all this friction started producing sparks. Okay, tell me more about this story. Aaron and I spoke of it only briefly in our call from season one. You haven't read it?
2: She abstains for the sake of the audience. Remember? To ask questions on their behalf?
3: Oh... Of course, how could I forget? Well, Lindsay, the story of ours that your boyfriend here published back in the day, and then again recently in his new book, was one of our old cases. This was from before the show, when we were still amateur nobodies. We had road tripped out to the southwest, to the desert, to investigate sightings of
0: winged monsters. And that's when he met the love of his life.
1: Oh?
2: Who's that? He means Violet. That's when we met her. And Danny's been obsessed ever since. I'm
3: not obsessed with her. I just find Violet fascinating. She single-handedly slayed a monster.
0: That's slew a monster.
3: Whatever. She saved our lives. It was incredible. And then she was just gone.
0: And now she truly is.
3: Yes, you speculated about her death in your season finale.
0: It's not speculation, she's gone. Have it on good authority, do you? Actually, yes, I do. Because you were told of her death. That's what you
3: said in your podcast. Okay, and? You were simply told that she was dead by a creature defined by its deception. What are you getting at? I'm just saying that this so-called non-man creature from what I read of him in your new book is not to be trusted.
2: Uh, the non-what now?
3: Aaron is about as versed in your written work as Lindsay is, Mr. Leck. If you'd be so kind as to explain all of this to my sister.
0: In addition to your story, Aaron, my anthology contains an account made by a soldier fighting in Bavaria at the close of World War II. The Endless Elsewhere
3: Volume 1. Available now wherever you get your books.
2: Danny! Shush! What? I said I'd plug it. Please, Joseph. Go on.
0: Years ago, I acquired a series of letters written by a one Howard Tetrick, a private in the U.S. Army and a native of Circle City. The letters chronicled an experience he had when his squad secured a medieval castle, what the Nazis had been using as a radio station to send and receive messages across the territory. While there, Tetrick and his fellow soldiers encountered a... a creature. What kind of creature? An ancient one. Local folklore suggested it was a trickster, but it could fool your eyes and your ears with magic powers. More modern speculation holds that the creature did this using some sort of telepathy.
2: So what happened at the castle?
0: This thing attacked the soldiers, killing several before those that remained set a trap for it. Howard Tetrick eventually slew the monster. But that's when another one appeared. The mate. The mate? Tetrick had killed the female. So her boyfriend was pretty upset, huh? You have to understand, according to the legends, these two were either the very last of their species or the only two to ever exist. They only had one another for countless centuries until this moment when they were forever parted. Parted by Howard Tetrick. Oh, so her boyfriend was really upset. Tetrick escaped the wrath of the creature, but this thing then spent decades tracking him down. It followed the soldier across the globe, all the way back here to Circle City. But the monster was robbed of its revenge. Tetrick died of old age shortly before it arrived on his doorstep. And that's how it first met the Polydors.
1: Danny had used too casual a tone when he said this, and Joseph gave him a look. My partner's eyes told our host to handle the memory of Joseph's departed friends with respect. Or else. There was definitely an or else in that look.
0: Wait, who are the Polydors? They were journalists. I would eventually team with them, but I did not know them at this time. Howard Tetrick's house had been put up for sale swiftly after his death. The Polydors and their realtor, Margot Fletcher, were there to see it when the monster arrived. Oof, bad timing.
2: And that's when they... No,
0: not yet. Enraged that he had missed his opportunity, the monster attacked them, but the Polydors, like Tetric before them, set a trap for the creature and escaped his clutches. But holding grudges and plotting revenge is kinda his thing, so he hunted them just as he had Tetric. It didn't take him quite as long this time to find his quarry. I had befriended them by this point. I was the one who discovered their bodies. They They had been... Anyway, unbeknownst to this monster, Circle City had its own monster hunter, a former book bearer of the first manuscript. Violet. Well, she confronted and bested the creature, but then spared his life. In accordance with his kind, he now owed her a life debt, and was therefore in service to Violet. So, when it came time to stop the apocalypse, she. she took him along to assist her.
2: Apocalypse? Wait, that's what? So I was right about the gargolas?
0: Yes, Erin, you were. And now we can turn from one story in my book to another. To yours, we leavers.
2: Wait, what's a garg- A gargola. It's Spanish for gargoyle. This word was used by a witness to describe a creature she'd seen fly out of the ground after an earthquake in New Mexico. This sighting is what brought us out to the desert
3: all those years ago. Danny insisted we check it out. Another occasion of my gut being right on the money?
0: Well, that was our final case as amateurs. Was not long after that, nowhere got hold of us about doing a pilot. But this case in the desert...
3: The whole
2: event was recorded on a little digital device that Danny used to carry with him. It was basically what you're using now, Lindsay. It was the only evidence to survive. Kurt lost his camera during the... conflict.
0: Afterward, Danny sent this device to me and I transcribed the audio, then published the account.
1: I see. Aaron? A second ago you said you were right about the gargolas. What did you mean?
0: Aaron, if I may?
1: Please do, I actually hate talking about this.
0: The Willievers went to investigate reports of the gargolas, but so had Violet. Their paths crossed and they worked together to kill the thing, but it was one of many. It soon became apparent that these things were a demonic creation and would be used to jumpstart the apocalypse.
1: Um, okay.
0: It's actually much more involved than that. The plot connects to the Infernal Ears Motorcycle Club, the revived Boonies cult, and even Carolyn Pelfrey of the Unclosing Eye Detective Agency. But we're not going that deep right now. Suffice it to say, the creatures were the priests of Apollyon.
3: Apollyon? A giant, biblical Cthulhu monster sleeping in the earth who is not set to awaken until the end of the
0: age. That's uh, sort of correct. There was a plan to awaken him prematurely, to bring about the apocalypse before the appointed time. Why? To break the will of God and therefore unravel the universe.
1: Oh, yeah. We know all about that, don't we?
0: Indeed. But thankfully, Violet and the non-man stopped this from happening. How? Violet used the non-man's powers to infiltrate the underground hive of the gargolas. They moved among the devils unrecognized. And that's how they stopped them, by quietly slaughtering the priests before they could perform their ritual to awaken Apollyon. Whoa, you need to publish that story, dude. In volume two, perhaps. Anyway, in the fight with these monsters, Violet was mortally wounded. While dying, she asked the non-man to return to Circle City to find me and tell me her story. And after he told you all
4: of
3: this, you killed the non-man. That's what you said in your podcast. I agreed to meet the
0: creature, but what he did not know was that like Tetric, like the Polydors, I had set a trap for him. So, yes, Danny, I heard his story, and then I killed the creature who killed my friends. Wow, crazy. I have one question though. Why did they call him the non-man? The moniker originated among the Spooky Spaghetti's. As the Non-Man's presence in Circle City became more well-known, people started reporting it.
1: Hang on, spooky spaghettis?
3: Uh, scary stories from the web. It's basically digital age folklore. They're told as if real, but most are clearly fake. Well,
0: all but one at least. Okay, cool, but still, why is he called the Non-Man? Because no one knows what he is, only what he is not. Did all this really happen? Do you doubt it? You were there for part of it.
3: We encountered a cryptid out in the desert. The rest of this
0: is, oh, well. Which part are you having trouble believing? Uh, the whole apocalypse thing, I guess. And it being stopped or paused or whatever—that's what I'm struggling with, anyway. Danny, how about you? Violet's death. Well, why do you? What? Wait, what? Do you think she's still alive?
1: Danny once again fell silent. I think he likes keeping things from people. It probably makes him feel big and important. But as seemed to be the case here, he was just trying to frustrate my partner. And it was working. But then something seemed to occur to him and Danny laughed aloud, turning from Joseph to me.
3: Lindsay, I owe you an apology.
1: Hmm, that seems right. But for what exactly?
3: Earlier... I was giving you grief about the exposition dumps on your show. And yet, just now, I sat through one and didn't even realize it was happening. It was as natural as it was necessary. I see now how and why this is a feature of your podcast. I was mistaken to suggest you do otherwise. Thank you.
2: Kurt, where are you with the camera? You just missed the most elusive thing we've ever hunted.
1: Huh? What?
2: An honest-to-God apology from Danny Woollever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we hadn't quite reached the third hour before the bus exited the interstate and started down a long stretch of highway. This was eventually traded for a series of smaller, dustier roads that scarcely seemed wide enough for the Williever's tour bus. And then we were there. Siberia. Now there are small towns, and then there are barely-on-the-map towns. I'll let you guess which one this was. As we took the place in, the place took us in too. As you can well imagine, we drew a lot of attention rolling down Main Street. I think this reminded Danny of his appearance, and he absconded to the bedroom to put on the mantle of his public persona. I assumed it would have been obvious to the people of Cyboria why we'd come, but they seemed very confused by the sight of us. Surely they must all be familiar with the otherworldly goings-on of their own town, and easily connected that to the grand arrival of the now-famous True Believers. Speaking of which, the bedroom door opened again and Danny re-emerged, looking like the version of himself the world was more familiar with. Clothes on, contacts in, and hair up, he was ready to do his thing. Henry found an empty lot to park the bus in, and immediately pulled open the door. Our driver then stood, but it was only to stretch, then he sat right back down. A book and a soda appeared in either of his hands as the rest of us disembarked. Henry would not be joining us on the investigation, but he did wish our little group luck before closing the door. While the rest of us surveyed the little town, Kurt opened one of the side luggage compartments and started pulling camera equipment from the bus.
0: We should interview whomever will speak to us, get a sense of what's common knowledge about the sightings. We should also find the local library to research the previous happenings.
1: At least, that's what we would do. But this isn't our show, remember, Joseph? Uh, How do you guys want to proceed?
2: Your idea sounds good. Danny?
3: Sure, that's fine. You guys go ahead and get started. Kurt still needs a few minutes to get set up. We can wait. Uh, I'm almost ready. No, really, get going. We can cover more ground if we split up anyway.
1: Uh, sure, if that's what you want to do.
3: Come on, Lindsay.
1: Having been cooped up together for so long, a break would do us all some good. That much was clear. But there had also been some tension on the bus, so a brief parting was more than beneficial. It was essential. Joseph and I started off one way down Main Street knowing Danny would take his siblings the other way. We ambled through Cyboria, trying to get a feel for the place. For a town that sounds futuristic, it was rooted firmly in the past. It's hard not to compare it to the town of our previous Halloween special, if only because it stood in such sharp contrast. Melgren had been equally as historic as this place, but whereas the town by the lake had been largely refurbished, Cyboria had been left to rot. There were no boutiques or fine dining, just discount stores and fast food. This was not the tourist trap that Melgren had become. Cyboria seemed like the kind of place where people only wanted to escape, and indeed many had moved away, which is likely why the population was even smaller than it should be. As for those who couldn't quite pull free, well... They were left to skulk the sidewalks and leer at visitors. Joseph has said that my superpower is that I can get anyone to speak to me, but this town must have been made of kryptonite. I framed my best smile and tried to approach a few of the townspeople, but was refused left and right. Unlike Melgren, who leaned into their supernatural happenings, the people of Cyboria sought to keep theirs quiet. At least, I thought so at first. It soon became clear to me that none consented to be interviewed because not one of them knew what I was talking about. When I'd asked about the sightings, either current or bygone, what I assumed to be people rudely ignoring me were really just people rudely expressing their ignorance. What gives? Danny said his report about this place was solid, but none of these people seemed to know anything about it.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure there's anything here. Don't be heartbroken if this episode of theirs doesn't air, and we don't get all that publicity you were hoping for.
1: Yeah. Hey, but at least it's a fun date. (laughs) Do you still want to check out the library?
0: Sure, why not? Hey, maybe we can find somewhere in there to make out.
1: Joseph! (laughs) my apologies for the continued comparisons between cyboria and melgren but the library here was a more traditional one than the retrofitted church we'd explored by lake michigan that's not to say this library was any better quite the opposite actually like the town to which it belonged the place was pretty run down joseph and i made our way inside then to the circulation desk Behind it stood a young woman. It quickly became evident that she was a little more sophisticated than the average resident of Cyboria. She was one of those people I mentioned earlier, one of those desperate souls who wanted to escape this place, to go somewhere, anywhere else. But for now, she was still fettered to the town.
5: Hello there. Geez, you're tall.
0: I get that a lot.
1: So what can I help y'all with? Alcazar Lodge, 1975. The events. What events? We've been told that some strange things went on there.
5: Like what?
1: You've never heard about the UFO or Bigfoot sightings around the lodge back in the day? Uh, no. What about recently?
5: Nope. Why,
1: are you... Never mind. You've already
5: answered my question. I did? Well, you're welcome, I guess. You can rest assured, though, if anything even remotely interesting happened in this town, I would have heard about it. Pretty much everyone comes in here.
0: This is a well-read town. (laughs)
5: <laughs> hardly. They use it as a cheap video store. We loan more movies than we do books these days. Except, there is this one writer in town everyone seems to read apparently. You
1: don't say. His name wouldn't be J.P. Leck, would it? How'd you know that?
0: Yeah, how did you know that?
1: I had a hunch. So, are you a fan of his too? Oh, yeah. Huge fan. I think the world of that
5: guy.
0: <laughs> Actually, my girlfriend here hasn't read a single one of his books.
5: Well, if you want to start now, he's over in fiction. Authors are in alphabetical order. You better hurry, though. Someone's liable to come in here and grab that book right out from under you. Any idea why he's such a popular read in Cyboria? No idea. I tried thumbing through a couple of his novels, not my cup of tea. But what about that anthology he published?
0: Oh, mm, what about it?
5: He provides all this information before and after each story, but he just goes on and on and on. It's like, we get it, dude.
0: Uh, To be clear, that's contextual and supplemental information that the reader needs to fully appreciate the story.
1: I had gotten defensive with Danny about the wordiness of this podcast. Now it was Joseph's turn to take up that fight. Anyway, could you tell me who
5: specifically in town you've loaned out his books to? Are you like a reporter or something? Why are you asking? We're investigative people, yes. Started like a month ago, Tom Sanderson came in here asking if we had any books by J.P. Leck. I told him no, and that the library wouldn't bother ordering them unless several requests were made. And wouldn't you know, the next day, Sarah Jennings comes in asking for books by J.P. Leck. After that, it was Willie Gray, who I'm pretty sure is as illiterate as a doorknob. Every day for a week, it was someone new pushing through the door wanting to read J.P. Leck. So you eventually ordered his books and all these people? They came back to borrow them? One at a time, yeah. It's almost like they were taking turns. They never actually checked them out of the library though. That was the weird part. They always read them here in the building, always in the same place.
0: Same place?
5: Yep, in that computer room right over there. Always sat at the desk in the back. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Always happy to help investigative people.
1: Joseph and I went to the computer room, If it could even be called that anymore. There hadn't been a single upgrade to any of the equipment since its installation in what was probably the late 90s. My partner and I exchanged looks, then moved to that desk in the back. It was just the two of us in here at the moment, so we worked in privacy.
0: Okay, you want to now tell me how you knew the townsfolk of Cyboria were fans of the books?
1: One second, I have one more hunch to validate. I set myself at the desk, but the chair gave a bit and creaked so loudly that I thought it was about to collapse beneath me. Thankfully, it did not. But then, once I booted up that relic of a computer, I hovered my fingers over a keyboard that was all scratched up. Ugh, oh, the state of this place. Get it together, Cyboria. Lindsay. Right, so if the browser still has the search history, which it does, you will see that, yes, there it is, our website over and over.
0: So we've got some super fans in this town.
1: I don't think it's us that they're obsessed with.
0: The Believers. They're featured in my anthology as well as the podcast. So, what, you think that we're looking at someone's research?
1: Dollars to Donuts? This is the very computer one of them emailed Danny from.
0: You think this whole thing is a scam? For what? What's the point?
1: To get them here. For some reason. This is either a plot by some groupies to meet their favorite reality TV stars, or this is the work of those rivals Danny mentioned. Maybe this is an elaborate troll to prank and embarrass the Will Evers. Whatever the case, it's looking like someone just made up the UFO and Bigfoot sightings. That's why no one here knows anything about them.
0: Uh, so once again, it's just... people.
1: That was the first time you've called me that. Huh? Back there with the librarian. You called me your girlfriend.
0: Oh, yeah. It sounded pretty juvenile, even as I was saying it. There's got to be a better word for me to call you. Don't worry. I'll think of something.
1: The pair of us left the library and headed back down Main Street to rejoin the Willievers. Just as we came within sight of them, however, Joseph took me by the arm, bringing us to a stop. I looked up at him and he nodded forward, to where the Willievers were having much better luck than we had. Danny was interviewing an older gentleman. They'd actually gotten someone to talk to them. Confession here? My pride was a little wounded, but I didn't mention it. Not wanting to interrupt, Joseph and I continued to hang back, watching from a distance. Kurt, weirdly, was not manning his camera. It just sat idly on the tripod. Apparently, the witness did not want to be filmed. The middle believer stood by with Aaron, both of them listening to the interview with arms crossed and heads tilted, clearly a shared sibling mannerism. My partner and I, however, were too far away to hear what was being said, but then the old man glanced away from Danny and spotted us. His reaction… it was so very odd. He seemed startled by the sight of Joseph and I, but then… giddy. Instead of rushing over to us, however, the old man abruptly ended the interview and shuffled briskly away. Danny called after him, even tried to chase him down the sidewalk and into an alley, but he returned to his siblings with only a shrug. Danny had lost him. Joseph and I exchanged perplexed looks, then went forward. What was that about? I
3: don't know, he just took off on me. Disappeared pretty quick for an old guy.
0: We finally found someone that was going to talk to us.
1: It might be our fault. I think Joseph
3: and I scared him off. It's fine. I got what I needed from him. And what's that? He confirmed all I've been told about the Alcazar Lodge and assured me that if we head out there tonight, we'll see the phenomenon.
1: Huh. What is it, Lindsay? It's just that we tried talking to people, too. No one seems to know about any of this.
0: That guy did. So one crazy old man tells you what you want to hear, and that's good enough? Yes. It is, actually.
1: We were having another disagreement, a public one this time. The interview had drawn plenty of attention from passers-by, but now they were getting even more behind the scenes than Danny would have liked. As a reality star, he had a reputation to maintain. He smiled and, through his teeth, quietly suggested we resume this conversation aboard the bus our little group retreated to that abandoned parking lot where Henry opened the door at our approach. As soon as it was closed behind us, both Joseph and I opened our mouths to speak, but it was Aaron who voiced our
3: question.
2: What's going on, Danny?
3: What do you mean?
2: No more games. Why are we really here? Why are they here? Aaron, I, th- I thought
1: our coming along was your idea.
2: <sighs> he tried to keep it quiet, but I heard Danny tell you earlier that this was my idea. It wasn't. It was his. But now he's acting like he doesn't even want you guys here, and for that, I apologize. But now he's gonna start explaining exactly what's going on. Well, Danny?
3: I don't know what you mean, Aaron.
2: I'm your older sister. Don't you think I know when you're lying? Kurt and I blindly followed you out here as we always do, but you're keeping more from us than usual. What is it? Why this case? Why did you want Lindsay and Joseph here for it?
3: It will all make sense once we get to the Lodge, I promise. You all are just gonna have to see it to believe it.
0: Believe what? UFOs? Bigfoot? They've seen equally weird stuff, Danny. So have we. Listen, Daniel, I get it. Really, I do. During our last Halloween special, I was absolutely convinced there was something otherworldly going on that simply wasn't. It was just people being people. It was all a hoax. I think that's what's going on here. Someone has taken you for a ride. I mean, a UFO, a Bigfoot, that's, that's two of the three things painted on the side of this bus. That report you got, I know you believe it, but someone has lied to you. At the library, Lindsay and I we're found- We're not here for UFOs. Or Bigfoot, Mr. Leck.
1: I'm sorry? Then why are we here?
0: Whatever it is, it's why the crew isn't here. Huh. Danny, we're not doing this old school. We're doing this alone because the network didn't approve of this investigation. They didn't think there was anything out here either, did they?
3: Yes and
0: no. I made a deal with Wendy.
3: That's our producer. Oh, got it. I made a deal with her. While the network was not willing to shell out the expense for this outing, they'll still air the episode if we find something. I'm paying Henry and for the use of the bus out of my own pocket.
2: And why involve Lindsay and her podcast?
3: It's not her.
0: It's him I wanted here. Why? What are you trying to do? To prove you wrong. Did you not hear anything I just told you? I'm wrong pretty consistently. What is this? Is this about our past? You said you were over that, but you're not, are you? This whole thing is a setup to humiliate me on your show? Is that what this is? Violet is alive. This again? The report
3: I got from this town about the goings on, do you know why I believed it? Because the guy who emailed me mentioned seeing a young woman. She was tall, with light blue eyes, she arrived shortly after the sightings began. He said she purchased hunting gear in town, then set off into the woods. It's got to be her. She survived and is here in Siberia. Mr.
0: Leck, you're here to help me find Violet. Oh, for the love of... Seriously, Danny? That's why we came down to this backwater hole? To find your crush? Look, we're
3: already here. We might as well hike out to the old lodge. If nothing happens, we pack up and head home. But if I'm right about this, which I always am, We will not be disappointed with what we find tonight.
2: Lindsay, Joseph, I'm sorry. You were brought here under false pretenses. So are we. But Danny's our brother, and these are our guests. So they will decide what we do next. We can leave this place right now. Or we can go a little further.
1: What do you want to do? Joseph, you're the reason we're both here, apparently. I'll leave it up to you.
3: (sighs) Come on. You're the Circle City Collector. All you want is the truth? Let's go find it.
0: Very well, Daniel.
1: Danny nodded, but it wasn't thankful or even apologetic, but rather the nod of a challenge accepted. While Danny was still looking very smug, Aaron grabbed a throw pillow from one of the couches and put its name into effect, hurling it at Danny's head.
3: Okay,
0: I deserved that.
2: Yes, you did. (sighs) All right, what now?
0: The old guy said there was a trailhead at the edge of town, and that the path went right by the Alcazar Lodge. Well, let's be on our way.
1: The Wellevers had an arsenal of flashlights, unsurprising really considering their line of work. We each armed ourselves with one, then Henry, yet again, pulled open the door to let us off the bus. He didn't wish our little group luck this time, but rather asked us to be careful. His usual curmudgeonly demeanor was gone, replaced with what appeared to be a genuine concern for our well-being. I don't know what he sensed, but his unease was contagious. We made the long walk through town, finding the trailhead just where the old man said it would be. We paused before entering the forest, looking expectantly to one another, as if there was something that needed to be said. None of us seemed to know what that something was, apparently, so we moved wordlessly into the darkening trees. The sun was already in decline at this point, as was the temperature. The trail was a narrow, winding affair, and a hazardous one at that. Rocks and roots alike pushed through the dirt beneath our feet, all of them hid beneath the blanket of fallen leaves that covered the forest floor. Yeah, I tripped a time or two. We all did. If Siboria was like most places, night hikes through the woods were more than just frowned upon. They were unlawful. But if we were not permitted to be in this place at this time, there was no one around to tell us so. The woodland itself, however, did its best to turn us back. A thin fog crept in around us this ghostly mist illuminated by the nearly full moon that poured its beams down through the twisted, barren branches overhead. The forest got really spooky, really fast. I took Joseph's hand as we went. A couple of miles in, the Alcazar Lodge began to appear through the darkness, revealed to us as if under its own will, the building had a bold architecture of upright timber, the vertical planks curiously making the two-story structure seem twice that height. I must have been expecting some kind of log cabin because I was surprised to find myself standing in the moon shadow of a fortress. Not that it truly was, of course, but the facade was certainly inspired by such. This, I imagine, is why the place had been called what it had. Alcazar means fortress. It can also mean palace, but a palace is not what stood before us. If I have painted you an accurate picture of Cyboria, you have imagined it not as a town in decline, but as a town that's already hit the bottom. So take what you know of the place, and now try to envision what is its oldest, most ruinous structure. Yeah, it was an absolute wreck. I'm sure the old hunting lodge had been condemned at some point. But still, there were signs of life. Lying at our feet were empty cans of spray paint and beer. Clearly, foolish teenagers were the only ones who still came here. Well, foolish teenagers and paranormal investigators, that is. Joseph stepped forward to enter, but Danny stopped him. He brought us all to a halt outside the front door as Kurt readied and shouldered his camera. He switched on its headlamp, which cast a brilliant light over the youngest believer. Danny messed his hair a bit and even scooped some dirt up to spread across his left cheek and forehead. Then he did a weird little actor's dance in which he shook off all distractions and focused himself on the performance ahead. When done, a now-centered, now-calm Danny Willever peered intently into the camera.
3: Three, two, one... Well, here we are, everyone. We stand just outside the legendary Alcazar Lodge, the site of numerous UFO and Sasquatch sightings. We've hiked most of the night just to get here. Along the way, we've heard frightening, inexplicable sounds in the woods. Those with me wanted to turn back, but I determined that we press on to explore this mystery.
1: I looked to Joseph, and he to me, both of us furrowing our brows. This must be some of that reality fudging Danny had mentioned earlier. And then, just like that, he dropped the act and leveled his voice.
3: Cut it there, Kurt. Be honest, guys. How was it? It was good. Aaron?
2: It felt like you were pushing.
3: Should I go again?
2: Nah, it was
3: good enough. Okay, Kurt, Uh, be sure to get some shots of Lindsay and Joseph
0: as we head inside. Got it. I'm ready when you are. Let's go.
1: Kurt started recording again, and Danny, now back in character, led us inside. He pushed through the old creaky door as the rest of us filed in behind him. All of our flashlights went in different directions, largely illuminating the blackened interior. The front room was enormous. This had been the main living area. Broken furniture sagged here and there. Against the far wall was an impressive fireplace with a cobblestone hearth. Nothing was left upon the mantle, but above this, a mounted deer head remained. It was a buck with an impressive rack of antlers. But now he also wore an old cowboy hat and a pair of sunglasses. Gifts from the youths of Cyboria, no doubt. I turned my beam on a set of stairs and let it climb them to the loft above, then to the vaulted ceiling beyond. The moon shone right back at me through a series of cracks and holes in the roof. I grimaced at that. My light came down to the ground level and pierced the darkness of a dining area and kitchen that stood off from the main room beneath the loft. My partner moved in this direction to one of the several support columns that braced the second level.
0: What a dump.
2: Should we even be in here? This place looks like it'll collapse any minute.
3: Aaron, stop being dramatic.
0: Daniel, she's not.
1: When Joseph had Danny's attention, he balled a fist and rapped lightly against one of the support columns. It shook in place and dust began to rain down from overhead.
0: Ugh! It's all rotten. A stiff wind could bring this place down. Well, then just don't touch anything.
3: So long as we... I said stop, what are you guys doing? That wasn't us.
0: It came from outside.
3: Tree knocking. It's here.
1: On a gleeful impulse, Danny spun and ran out of the lodge. The rest of us chased after, more to stop him than to join him.
3: Danny, what is. Shh! Listen, it's trying to talk to us.
1: What is that?
0: Sasquatches are said to use wood knocking to communicate.
1: How do we know it's a Bigfoot out there? It could be some yokel messing with us. The whole town watched us come out here.
0: No, it's the creature.
3: Kurt, turn on the camera's night vision. Everyone, switch off your flashlights. Okay. Come on, everyone. Go slow, Kurt. Uh,
2: is this a great idea? Aaron? No, it's clearly a bad idea. But this is our lives. Come on, guys. Stay close.
1: Our group formed a loose line with Kurt at the front, guiding us through the darkened woodland. He alone could see with his camera's night vision. We did our best to move quietly, but it was a miserable failure. Every footfall crunched over the fallen leaves, so who or whatever was out there knew we were coming. And we assumed that's why the wood knocking stopped as we approached. We pressed on, however, at Danny's insistence. Soon we emerged into a small clearing where we paused to listen. I took Joseph's hand again. Something felt very wrong. I can't say for sure, but I've had enough experiences with the unnatural to wonder if I haven't developed a sense for it. I began to regret having not brought my basilard or Joseph's gauntlets. We hadn't bothered in our previous Halloween special either, assuming we'd have no need for them. In Melgram, that had been true, but in Siboria well. Uh, run away? I second that.
0: That was close, over there. Kurt, can you see anything? I, uh, there's something out there moving but I can't, I can't get a clear. Hang on, hang on. There it is. It's, it's not a.
1: <gasps> the whole of us flicked our flashlights back on and turned our beams in the direction of the nearing creature. This we did just in time to illuminate the arrival of a massive beast. Easily eight feet in height and no less than 500 pounds, this monstrosity was a tousled mess of long matted hair caked in mud and moss. We saw its wrenched, ape-like face. Its dark, closely set eyes were scarcely visible under its thickly pronounced brow, now narrowed hatefully. It bared its fanged, slavering jaws and roared again, more savagely now. None of us ran. That would be to turn our backs on this thing, which not a single soul present was willing to do. The beast took a thunderous step in our direction, but then halted suddenly and turned back, hearing what we did as well, a voice from the woodland behind it.
4: Hey there, big boy, why don't you try that tough guy stuff on me?
1: The creature seemed to have forgotten us completely and lunged back into the trees, tearing a warpath through the forest to find whomever had spoken. Our group just stood there, listening, listening to, well, hear it for yourself. (laughs) From the same spot in the tree line that the beast had gone, now stepped a young woman. She was tall, thin, with eyes that were a lighter than normal shade of blue. She was dressed for monster hunting, if ever such an outfit existed. The form-fitting attire and coat were now besprinkled in dark blood, the same inking the blade of the battle axe she held down at her side.
4: Violet. Violet? Run, back to the lodge. It will return.
1: There wasn't time for questions. We did as the woman said and made a quick retreat to the lodge. Once inside, she scanned the interior. Violet pointed out some loose floorboards that could be pulled up from their place and put over the windows and doors. She also found an old coffee can full of nails and a couple of rusty hammers, things we had overlooked when exploring moments ago. We got immediately to work and soon had the lodge looking like its namesake. We'd sealed off every possible entrance. Once this was done, our group communed in a shared silence, listening for what we assumed to be the inevitable return of the monster, but we heard nothing save our own quickened breathing. With the situation settling down, at least for the moment, both Joseph and Danny turned to Violet.
3: Violet, how... I knew it. I knew you were alive.
1: Danny had forgotten himself and went in for a hug, but Violet raised a hand to stop him, frowning at his attempt to be overly familiar.
3: Sorry, sorry, that was weird. I just, I'm just so glad to see you. Violet,
0: how are you here? How did you survive the- That's
4: not important right now. We need to worry about that thing coming back.
0: Not just it.
4: What'd you say, Kurt?
0: It's not alone. There's something else out there with it.
4: We
1: all gave our attention to Kurt, who'd taken a seat on the edge of the old hearth. He cradled his camera to his chest. When Aaron moved over to him, Joseph and I followed. What do you mean, Kurt?
0: What else is out there? I saw it with a night vision, I saw it. It wasn't what we thought. It was tall like the other thing, but it was really thin and it didn't have any hair, not at all. It was really scaly. Its eyes were almost too big for its head and its head was almost too big for its body. It didn't make a lot of sense proportion wise, you know? Oh man, it was horrible.
1: I looked to Joseph, but he had looked to Danny. The two men were sharing an expression of horror that the rest of us could not understand those of us who had not read the wartime letters of Howard Tetrick. Both men turned, very slowly, very hesitantly, to Violet.
2: Uh, what is happening?
1: We need to leave right now. We can't.
0: She had us board the whole place up. And not to keep a monster out, but to seal ourselves in here with one.
4: What is that?
0: This is the non-man
4: Thank you for the introduction, Collector, but I've already met the Believer siblings.
3: You were the old man I spoke to on the street earlier. You directed us here. That's why you didn't want to be on camera.
2: <sighs> what? Why does that matter?
3: The non-man's powers only work on people, not devices. Cameras show him in his true form.
0: His true form that Kurt saw in the woods a moment ago.
1: So this thing was that Bigfoot, and now... Violet? Was all that out there just a show?
0: To get us here. This whole thing... It has been an elaborate trap. You've fallen into enough of them, creature. I guess it was time for you to lay your own.
4: Quite so, Collector.
0: How are you alive? I killed you.
4: I showed you what you wanted to see, then I made my escape. From your trap, and then Circle City itself.
0: Why come to this little... nowhere town?
4: It was far enough away that I could live beyond your notice, but also remain within striking distance.
1: There were many things that, for obvious reasons, did not dawn on me in that moment, but rather came along later, such as all those townspeople who requested Joseph's books. Remember them? We had thought that there was a group of conspirators at work to get the Welievers to Cyboria, but it was a conspiracy of only one. This creature had come into the library wearing a different image each day. It was the non-man every time, which is why those townspeople were always seen to sit in the same place at that station in the back of the computer room, the one with the broken chair and scratched-up keyboard, the creature's bulk and clawed fingers having left their marks behind. Remember, he is not a shapeshifter. He remains in his physical form at all times, having the power only to make you see him as someone else. But why, you may wonder, would an ancient creature with that much mental ability use the local library? I asked myself the same question, and the answer is because he had to. It's not like he has the wherewithal of a normal person. He could simply take those things by brute force from some unsuspecting person here in town, sure, but that would be to draw attention, attention that would have jeopardized his machinations, no. The non-man needed the library to get both Joseph's books and access to our podcast. We, Joseph and I, had supplied this monster with all the knowledge he needed to accomplish his plan.
0: Lindsay and I thought we were being used to get the believers here, but it was just the reverse. You were using them to get us here.
4: I had to lure you to me, but how to do so without raising your suspicions? I could not contact you directly. You would have seen through the ruse. I had to be clever
3: there were never any ufo sightings here no bigfoot you made it all up you read my story in Lex's book you knew that a mention of someone matching violet's description would be enough to get me
4: down here i knew there was an infatuation to be exploited i traveled with violet before her death she spoke of the brief time she spent with you of how you looked at her but how did you know danny would bring us along you couldn't have known he would the believers were supposed to precede you to Cyboria. I was to have slaughtered the whole of them. I knew the pair of you would come to investigate their deaths. No, I couldn't have known that they would bring you along. My plan, it seems, performed better than even I could have imagined. That's why I was surprised to see you on the street earlier. I nearly lost focus and dropped the old man's image. My impulse was to attack you then and there but I restrained myself. I had planned for this moment and I was to have it.
3: Appear to us how you really are.
0: You have no right to wear her face. Show them your true face as you showed me.
4: My true face. I lost it for a time, but I have since regained it.
0: What does that mean?
4: You don't know what you did, Collector. What you ruined. The time I spent with Violet, I was not to be the same afterward. Her journey came to an end, but mine began anew. She sacrificed herself to save this world and watching her do so changed me. I made a choice after her death. I was to walk her path, to wear Violet's image and continue her work. But first, I had to fulfill her final request. I had to return to Circle City to find the Collector, to tell him her story. I actually thought that you, Collector, of all humans, could possibly understand or perhaps see me in the same way Violet had. But then you ambushed me and I knew. I knew I was a fool to think that I could be anything other than what I am or that your kind could be anything other than what you are.
1: I looked to Joseph. He was utterly thunderstruck, horrified by this confession, this revelation. The non-man had been on the verge of redemption when Joseph's actions thrust him back into the darkness.
0: If you have listened to the podcast, you heard me say that I regretted doing to you what I did.
4: If you think an apology will spare you, Collector, you're mistaken.
0: I'm not apologizing. Not to the thing that killed my friends. I'm saying... I'm saying you weren't wrong to think that you could change.
4: There is no going back. Not for either one of us.
0: Why did you wait so long for this? Why do all this now?
4: Had I killed you in any of the years previous to now, it would have been to put you out of your misery. As I said, this town was just far enough away to remain hidden, but also close enough to keep track of you. I know of your disgrace and failure, of the time you spent as a hermit brooding in your bank, but now, collector, now you have something to lose.
1: The non-man turned to me. Then Joseph did likewise. His face was suddenly void of color. The panic in his eyes was like I have never seen before.
4: Tetric stole my beloved from me, an agony I carry still to this day. I, more than any other, know how insufferable a torment it is. This affliction I will pass on to you, Collector. I did not lure you here to die. I lured you here to watch her die.
1: Was I terrified? Duh. But I wasn't about to let this thing know it. You've been listening to our podcast, but clearly you haven't listened close enough. You see, Joseph and I unmake
0: monsters.
1: It's kind of our thing. Isn't that right, Joseph? Joseph.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's right. That is right.
1: In the absence of our regular weapons, my partner and I threw a couple of quick glances around the lodge. What we needed lay behind us in the fireplace. There, I found an old wrought iron poker. I took this up with a memory of nearly doing likewise on the roof of the bank last season. This time, I'd get to use it, though. Joseph, meanwhile, had to get a little more creative with his improvised weapons. Being tall enough, he reached above the mantle and took down the mounted deer head. The cowboy hat and sunglasses came off, but then so too did the antlers, my partner having snapped them free of the buck. Joseph now gripped one in each hand. The non-man was no longer the only one here with a set of claws. Seeing us arm ourselves, Kurt set aside his camera and took up the rusty hammer he'd used to help fortify the lodge. Then the middle lever stood with Joseph and I, ready to fight. I looked to Aaron and
0: Danny.
4: We'll keep him busy. You guys get one of those doors open. Got it,
0: we will. All right, creature, let's finish what we started.
4: Do give me a fight, Collector. I want it. I could have easily destroyed your beloved in the street earlier or when your guard was down a moment ago. No, Collector, I want you to do everything within your power to protect her and still fail to watch her die in front of you. You wanted to see my true face? Look upon it in despair.
1: The image of Violet melted away and towering over us was the non-man in his natural state, just as Kurt had described him, but far worse to behold in the flesh. Aaron and Danny rushed to the front door. She had the other hammer and began frantically clawing out the nails we had only just pounded into place. While Danny took to prying back the boards with his bare hands, the non-man let them work on our escape. His attention was on Joseph, Kurt, and I as we squared off with him. Then, well, as a returning listener of this podcast you know what happened next. Even with the odds in our favor, the fight was not going our way. The creature was a terrible force to be reckoned with. But then an idea came to me. I got Joseph's attention and nodded to that rotten column he'd wrapped against earlier. My partner understood me at once. Kurt had also, and so the two men, lining up the nod man with the rotten pillar, rushed our foe together. The monster was driven backward. Just before he collided with the column, however, the non-man struck both Joseph and Kurt aside with a single sweeping blow. But it was worth the hit that both men had taken as their action sent the monster crashing against the fragile support. This snapped from its place and fell with the non-man to the floor. The monster could not retaliate, let alone rise, as the dominoes were already falling. The other columns gave out and dislodged a sizable beam from overhead, which came down squarely upon the creature. There quickly followed a partial collapse of the upstairs. Enough of the structure had fallen upon the non-man to kill even him, I was sure of it, but Joseph wasn't taking any chances this time. From where he lay, trying to recover, he called to me.
0: Lindsay, make sure he's dead, kill him.
1: I nodded, then climbed atop the rubble heap. With my fire poker, I carefully navigated the thicket of splintered lumber, all the while keeping an eye on what remained of the structure above, mindful that more could come down at any moment. I quickly found the creature. The non-man lay partially buried, pinned on his back. The extra weight of me pushing down on him pulled the non-man back to consciousness. Those hideous eyes bulged open as it hissed a labored breath. Its jagged teeth were inked in its own dark blood, and a trickle of this ran down from the corner of its left eye where it had suffered a deep gash. Joseph had been right to assume that he had survived, even if it was only just barely, and I was about to cut whatever thread of life still remained. I whirled the poker so that the tip now aimed down, and I took my weapon in both hands, hoisting it up, ready to drive it down into the head of the non-man. But I... I didn't. You have been bested in combat, have you not? Yeah. You are defeated, yes?
0: Just finish me. Lindsay,
4: do it. Kill him.
1: You have been vanquished by an enemy. Say it. I
4: have lost, yes.
1: In accordance with the code of your kind, you owe a life debt to your victor if they spare you.
0: Is that right? Lindsay, what are you doing? I... yes. I will be in your service.
1: Swear it.
3: I swear it.
1: Okay then, here's what we're gonna do. My friends and I are going to unbury you. You will skulk off into these woods to hide and to heal, but you will not leave this town. You will continue to make trips to the library. You will do a daily check of the email you use to contact Danny. He's gonna give me that address. And when I am in need of you, I will summon you back to Circle City. I will do your thing. This is more than just that. I'm giving you another chance here. You could still change for the better. I'm sorry your previous opportunity was delayed by the actions of my partner. He regrets it. This is us making it right. You were gonna kill me to get back at Joseph. And now here I am letting you live. I want you to still be thinking about that long after I leave this place. When I looked back, Joseph was up and helping Kurt to his feet. Behind them, Danny and Aaron had finally gotten the door open. They all came forward and reluctantly did as I had said. We freed the non-man from the rubble. When the monster began to rise, the believers shrank back and Joseph stepped to my side, his guard up. Defeated and ashamed, the non-man hid its true form and again appeared to us as Violet.
4: I will do as you have instructed.
1: And with that, the non-man left the lodge. Our group did not risk another moment in that crumbling place and did the same, heading back up the trail to Cyboria. We limped our filthy selves down Main Street, back to that parking lot and the bus. Henry had fallen asleep inside and was startled awake when Kurt beat on the door. He let us in, our driver's eyes wide at the sight of us. He knew better than to ask, however, and simply started the bus. We all collapsed upon the couches as Henry drove us from the town. Joseph and I were huddled together. He gripped me tightly. The fear of losing me had struck him harder than the non-man's blow. I tried to cheer him up with a joke. All the monsters we fought and now we have one on our side. <laughs> Hey, it's okay. I'm still here. Don't let that thing get in your head. Well, you know what I mean. You must think that you have a weakness now because of me, but I... A
0: weakness? No. No, my dear. Tonight I learned that I will never be stronger than with you at my side. I love you. I love you.
2: Uh, you guys are adorable.
0: You know we can hear everything you're saying, right? I mean... We're, like, right here. (laughs) Well, how about it, Daniel? We definitely found something out there. Do you think the network will air this episode? Oh, it'll air. Don't you worry about that. Um, but I
3: didn't film anything that happened in the lodge. You got that footage in the forest. That's more than we usually come home with.
1: Is that enough for an entire episode, though?
3: We have the climax. That's all we really need. We'll build the rest of it backward. We'll do some interviews with you guys when we get back, throw in a dramatization or two, some history of Cyboria, graphics of the monster, and boom, we've hit our runtime. I've already texted Wendy. Believe me, this will be one of our better episodes. And you too. You guys need to get ready.
0: For what, Daniel?
3: Fame, my friends. The whole world is about to know about the endless elsewhere.
1: Do good. Fight evil repeat. I'm Lindsay Mallon and this is the Endless Elsewhere podcast.